How are we actively mitigating fire prevention and vegetation management? Why isn't there a standard practice for prevention across the industry? How can we steer the conversation moving forward for a standard across all utilities? That's just a little bit of what we will talk about today with Neil Fisher and Eric Brown on part one of this podcast episode of Trees and Lines. Have a listen. Hope you enjoy. Welcome, Neil, Eric. Thanks for joining us today. Um, before we get started, uh, I know, Eric, that uh, the audience has met you in the past, but why don't you reintroduce yourself? And then, Neil, if you'd give us a little bit of a introduction to yourself, uh, and then we'll get into the podcast. All right. Of course. Welcome. Thanks uh, again for the opportunity, gentlemen. It's uh, certainly a pleasure to be on the show and appreciate the opportunity, as always, to share some more about our program. Um, my name is Eric Brown. I'm the manager of SMUD's Transmission and Distribution Vegetation Management Program here at uh, in Sacramento, California. Um, we operate a vertically integrated utility, uh, both power generation and distribution, along with transmission. Hey, good morning, everyone. Thanks for uh, having me. Um, uh, my name is Neil Fisher. I am a uh, forester and, and um, also an attorney, um, although right now I'm happily not practicing law. Um, my background is roughly half of my career has been in um, industrial forest management and uh, non-industrial forest management, smaller landowners, and the other half has been in utility veg management, um, where I spent most of my time um, doing two main things. One was uh, deriving a hazardous tree assessment and um, uh, abatement program for a utility. And the other was spending a good deal of time working with uh, the utilities um, uh, group that interacts with the PUC and writing rate cases for the utility. Um, it's a strange combination of things, but that's where it led. And so uh, about four years ago, I, I left the utility industry and took a position as a timberlands manager. I was responsible for roughly 200,000 acres of timberland and sourcing two sawmills uh, we were greatly impacted by a series of fires in 2021, and in August of 2022, I decided that perhaps it was time for me to step down from the pinnacle of my career and get back to a reasonable lifestyle. And so we, uh, my wife and I both did the same things, each of our positions, we stepped down and then um, uh, now we're operating consultancies. And um, uh, currently, I am working with Joe Hiss at JH Land, and, and we are working with SMUD. Good. You know, guys, uh, Tej and I were looking at an article that came out from you guys. Uh, I think it was T&D World, the, one of the supplements. Yes. Uh, sometime this spring. I don't quite remember when. Uh, so it's taken us a while to get you on. Glad we did. Um, can you tell us a little bit? Remember the article I'm talking about? You know, tell us a little bit about the research behind that, the data, and what's it kind of change is it driving, Eric? Sure. Yeah, again, great opportunity to share on this, this uh, important forest health and electric reliability project that we've had going since really back in 2019. Um, that's really the start of this activity. I got a inquiry by our CFO, Jennifer Davidson, um, who's also our chief risk officer, which is kind of a unique 
uh, combination. Most utilities have two different uh, executives, and we have one that holds the purse strings and all the risk, frankly, and liability all in one pot. So that's a pretty unique scenario, which I find pretty favorable for us. Um, she asked pretty br- point blankly, well, what is our risk out there? Um, and at the time, we didn't have a great picture of our risk in 2019. We had some specifics from some previous remote sensing flights and some LIDAR data, uh, but not our full risk profile in our high fire threat area. This is in El Dorado County, um, and it essentially is between Lake Tahoe, you know, an icon of California. The Desolation Wilderness is where our assets start, actually in the wilderness area, and they run down into Sacramento, California, uh, the capital of California. And uh, that particular um, discussion led me to picking up some additional ro- remote sensing data and actually pulling our full risk profile. So all um, conditions that could either strike, grow into, um, or impact our facilities over uh, over a period of time. Um, so it's remote sensing, ortho imagery, coupled with a series and set of um, analytics, frankly, um, AI, if, if you will, um, that helps us determine what tree conditions out there that are current, under current conditions, as flown conditions, could strike our facilities, and then full operating range or full uh, modeled conditions of those assets. And frankly, um, some of those spans that we have are in pretty significant terrain where we've got over 1,500 foot uh, spans between tower to tower, and we've got up to tw- almost 20 foot of sag um, and substantial blowout um, in those conditions. So looking at that, we identified we had um, thousands and thousands of tree conditions that could either grow into or strike our facilities. So back in 2019, after that data and that discussion with uh, our CFO, I put together a business case um, essentially, it was a, a business case that we reviewed with our executives um, in exceptional detail, um, went through uh, a business case review with our executives, then our board members, um, and essentially that was fortunately approved. It was a, a five-year commitment from the company and all the executive to uh, commit millions of dollars and operational resources to support reducing our risk footprint in that area. It's essentially a 58-mile corridor, um, point A to point B. It's about 150 miles of electric transmission lines. Uh, some of it is bulk electric system, 230 kV, grid, a grid inner tie, uh, western grid inner tie, um, and some of it is 69 kV facilities that actually support our hydro generation operations um, in the Crystal Basin uh, watershed. So that's kind of the foundation of it. That's how things were built. I'm very fortunate that we had um, unanimous support from our executives and our board members. Um, Back in 2019, we had catastrophic events going on with our neighbors and peers all over the state of California. That then spread to the Pacific Northwest in many areas that hadn't really seen catastrophic fires. And frankly, we're immune to these conditions that California was dealing with um, from early on in the the mid-2000s. So with all of that media, all of that press, 
all of those concerns are constant impacts from our insurers, frankly. And that's a topic we'll need to dive into a little bit more as we discuss this, because um, many of our peers and colleagues, utilities are feeling the same challenges uh, regarding insurance premiums that you need to figure out how to manage and get under control. Um, So that was the background. That was the foundation. That support um, was there internally um, from our CEO to our entire board. And then I was, fortunately enough, I was on a the Fire Safe Council in El Dorado County and, and had spent a lot of time collaborating and building partnerships with local fire officials, um, federal land managers. And that really started back in 2017 when I started as a director on the Fire Safe Council. And it was a constant communication, every single meeting. What is SMUD doing? What are some of the actions you're taking to reduce risk in the communities? And it was, this is coming. Here's our plan. We will be doing forest health work, fuels reduction work, risk reliability work in El Dorado County starting in 2019. And that was a constant theme that I said at every single meeting over and over again. So everyone was starting to get prepared for it. And I got regular inquiries. Who can support? How can I support? How can we how can we partner with you? How can we connect to some of our other fuels reduction activities that the Fire Safe Council is doing, that the local counties are doing along roadways for ingress and egress? How is that working with the state of California um, related to Highway 50, which is a main uh, corridor ingress and egress to Lake Tahoe? What are some of the things that we can do to partner with you? And I got regular uh, communications with those team members. And frankly, the the federal land manager, the industrial timber landowner, SPI, Sierra Pacific Industries, that was the impetus and that was the start of this activity. We started with a pilot activity on industrial timberland property, basically creating a shaded fuel break. And when I'm looking at this, I'm looking at it from a company perspective. I'm not looking at it as a linear electric corridor activity, which in many cases utilities do. Um, We're actually just focused on the easement. And in many cases, that's where things start. But what I was also looking at is I'm, I'm looking at the entire watershed. We have an enormous volume of hydro generation facilities in the Crystal Basin in El Dorado County that are critical to our green energy support for our customers and impacts. We've seen those by many fires in this particular area. It's got a rich history of fire impacts. Um, Most of those are not utility uh, ignitions. They're from other sources, but nonetheless, they've done devastating damage to the watershed, uh, natural resources, and obviously um, water capacity support and water quality. So when I'm talking about this, I'm communicating that this is an activity that's going to stretch well beyond our easements. This is not just focused on easement areas. Are your uh, tree line conflicts coming from trees on the right of way or off the right of way? We're very fortunate. So I don't have any outage history on this corridor um, for the last. Uh, I've been at SMUD, I've been at SMUD for seven and a half years. We've had zero transmission level outages. I have to say, fortunately. Um, and, and humbly, but previous to that, my predecessor, Steve Hallmark, had no transmission level outages on this corridor um, as well. So, but the tree conditions that we were seeing 
um, from all of our neighboring utilities are very similar conditions to what we have. So we're not any different as it relates to terrain, topography, weather conditions, uh, vegetation types, vegetation densities. They're very similar. You can run up and down the Sierra Nevada and see very similar conditions. And frankly, those fire conditions, and we'll talk a little bit more about them um, as we go along. The root cause analysis of those events are from tree conditions from outside easements, outside the right-of-ways. They're not tree conditions that have happened like the 2003 blackout where you have a grow-in and a line sag condition, um, and then you have a, a catastrophic event. These conditions are are from outside the easement, Phil. Is that on both T and D? Yes, absolutely, on both so, T and D. So, Neil, you had a big database on this. Is that what your data found at other utilities? So, um, yeah, let me back up real quick, and then I'll answer your question there, Phil. We, we I think what, what precipitated the article in T&D was the realization that we have to better announce risk, number one, and then also um, describe um, an alternative method to managing that risk that SMUD is undertaking. So the traditional way that uh, risk has been undertaken by utility veg management is a just-in-time type of framework, wherein trees that are getting within a, um, a compliance encroachment zone are, at the time they're nearing that encroachment zone, they're trimmed back. They're, they're pruned back to where they are uh, in compliance again. Or in the case of a hazardous tree, they're assessed as to whether or not they, their, um, their condition constitutes what I would phrase as a, a most likely um, scenario for that tree to fail. And at that point in time, it's being abated. So it's a just a time approach. Um, SMUD undertook an approach that, that looks at an, an objective standard rather than a just in time or a subjective standard, wherein it just figured that any tree that's tall enough to strike needs to be removed. And that's a very different construct. But it, it came at a very ripe moment in the understanding of risk. And this is what uh, Eric is at, you know, uh, describing with his leadership, is that they, they understood risk and did made a change in their operating practices to address what they feel as the risk is. And I want to quickly describe that risk. Um, beginning in 2007, when we saw the witch fire in San Diego County in California, really was the advent of a mega fire. I think that fire was somewhere near 240,000 acres. It caused a great deal of destruction and disruption in San Diego County. But since then, we've seen numerous mega fires. The Rim Fire, which in 2013 was the largest single man-caused release of carbon ever recorded. It's been surpassed since then. We see um, a 230,000-acre fire. We saw the North Claremont Complex in 2020, 400,000. The August Complex, a million acres. And then in 2021, we saw just horrific fires. The single Dix the Dixie Fire, a single fire, was a million acres and crossed the Sierra Nevada twice. The first fire to ever cross the Sierra Nevada, it did it twice. So these types of fires represent a risk profile for utilities that is very different from when programs were being designed in the late 90s. And so um, I think this is very important for everyone to recognize that this risk is so different. And it's not confined, like Eric was saying, it's not confined just to California. It's not mm -hmm. a California phenomenon anymore. It's occurring in New Mexico. It's occurring in Utah. It's occurring in Idaho, Montana, Washington, and, of course, Oregon. The Labor Day fires in Oregon are now relatively infamous for the damage that they created. So 
we have to really sit back and take a look at the big picture and address the risk that we now are more um, um, are better able to comprehend and really see. So I, I want to congratulate Eric. I mean, I want to give him all the credit in the world for having addressed this issue head on with his leadership team. And I and I feel as though, you know, we're at the cusp, we're at the beginning of this realization about risk and a new way to address it. Now, to answer your question, Phil, um, uh, at my uh, my previous role at a large Western utility, I did um, we we were we looked at arborist assessments on how trees were failing and why trees were failing. And we decided to stop asking arborists what we thought and ask the trees instead. So what do I mean by that is for every in, every instance of a tree caused interruption in service, we asked um, the company asked its consultants to go out and investigate what caused that tree to do what it did and the interruption in service. And we took all kinds of data. We took engineering data about this infrastructure itself. We took weather data. We took tree specific data that included species, size, height, whether or not it was a partial failure or a whole whole tree failure. And then the um, a little bit of information about the specifics of the failure itself. And with that data, then we we went ahead and analyzed the data and looked to see if there were trends. And the trends were very apparent right off the bat by species. And so um, we took um, we eventually had roughly forty one thousand acre uh, forty one thousand records of uh, uh, what we call tree failure investigations. They're actually outage investigations. And we turned that information over to the California Tree Failure Database System managed by the UCANR, the University of California Agricultural and Natural Resources Extension. So now that record, those records are available for public review. Um, and to answer your question, um, Phil, the, um, the, the, the information, so we were seeing both inside and outside um, easement failures. Um, the easement failures that or the tree failures that were occurring outside the easement tend to be catastrophic failures. And that kind of makes sense. You need the whole tree to make the distance to reach the wires. And then where we had um, inside the, the easement failures, they tend to be um, either partial or limb failures that were above the wires or um, above and adjacent simultaneously. So that's just a general synopsis of what Not we Not the encroachment zone. We have been managing the wrong thing, right? Managing the yeah. encroachment zone and yeah. the problems. Yeah. So you guys are talking might about have been long-winded, long-winded my answer, but I did want to cover a lot of ground. No, there, so. That's great. Thanks. But, you know, you guys are talking about it in terms of the fire risk. Exact same thing applies in the East where utilities are managing for uh, reliability. They're managing the encroachment zone. The risk is above and outside. So, okay, <clears throat> sorry, I'm going to chime in here because obviously I don't have the. <laughs> we'll the, we'll the, get in the weeds, Tej. You got to no, 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 break no, us up. This is like, I think Eric set a very good stage um, for this conversation. And Neil, your background is so fascinating, especially because you have a legal lens as well. Um, you know, firstly, I guess, you know, I just want to acknowledge what's happening in Hawaii. Um, obviously, yes. our th- thoughts go out to everybody there. That is. Devastating. A horrific image of what's going on. And this has also happened this year in Canada, Greece, Spain. Um Great. you know, it, it and and so Neil, you kind of you kind of said something where it's like, hey, like you know, the, the risk factor is basically people think it's kind of in this pocket, but really it's a combination of some things here, some things here. And 
Um, obviously, this is getting so much global attention. But yet, even after some of the, the recent fires in the U.S. over the last three or four years, you know, we see an, an initial reaction of like, okay, we got to do something, we got to increase our budgets, we got to do this, we got to do that. But I still haven't seen a consistent sort of response um, by all kind of U.S. utilities to say, hey, listen, this could be us next. Let's make sure that we have a consistent program that's well-funded, et cetera. Why do you think we're lagging so much here when there's clearly a massive trend, <laughs> you know, and and a, an incredible amount of risk and incredible amount of damage? Like, why are the is it, is it, is the stickiness at the PUC level? Is it at the utility level? Is it is it cost thing? Like, why hasn't every utility and co-op and unions in the country said, "Hey, let's let's kind of standardize this. Let's look at smud or let's look at what's happening on the West Coast and let's apply what we can." Like. I feel like everyone's generally pretty slow to respond. Why is that? I'm not sure the utilities are not responding. Um, some, I think, are. Um, they're probably doing it very deliberately. Um, I know they've reached out to Eric. Um, we are working with some utilities to evaluate you know, their approach. Um, we haven't heard a lot of publicity about it, though. Uh, that I will um, stipulate. Um and um, I think the reason may be that uh, it is a bit novel. And um, I think the, there's a good deal of caution uh, that's out there. I would encourage utilities to, frankly and intellectually, honestly, uh, evaluate their risk and consider taking a change of course. I really would. Who do you feel is the, the authority like, is there is there a centralized voice out there that when they speak and they say, guys, it's time to change course, the broader utility industry looks at that voice or that collection of voices and say, okay, yeah, it's time to change. Like, who, who do you feel is the authority on this that can at least steer the conversation for the collective? Oh, isn't it Phil? <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> that's what I keep telling Tish, yeah, but I'm not sure anybody's buying it yeah. but him. <laughs> yeah. Phil, that's that's a great answer. Um, no, but I mean, like, is it? Um, you know, they're organized. Like, okay, you know, both Phil and and Eric have been former presidents of the UAA, right? Like, great organization. Like, what industry organizations are out there? Do you feel that are are driving the conversation? I'm sure UAA is one of them, but like, is there anyone out there that is really the true authority um, that can can kind of start to like? accelerate this conversation because to your point neil like yes you're right utilities are responding but this is incredible what we're observing like what just happened in canada is like i agree insane i couldn't even believe it so and but it's not like utility has been there the footprint is the footprint right and all of a sudden this thing happens so you ask yourself like you know why but why wasn't this you know better managed and why why weren't people thinking about the risks it's not the first fire that's taken place in the last five years there's a North American need. There, there's a North American regulation. Um, in my opinion, the industry leader in the moment is a North American Transmission Forum. That is the central point, central clearinghouse, keystone organization hmm. that is driving bulk electric system improvements. And that's not just on vegetation. That's operations. That's asset inspections. That's substation efforts. That's new installations. 
Um, from stem to stern, soup to nuts, NATF, I think, is the key organization leading uh, the way and actually is showing, in my opinion, regular improvements um, in those data points. So that's the consistent data source. That's the consistent foundation, in my opinion, that connects all utilities, um, levels the playing field. It doesn't matter which platform you operate in. doesn't yep. matter what terrain, what assets. If they're bulk electric system assets, you, you're in it. This is this is part of what you need to do. So that has been a game changer, in my opinion, on the electric transmission side. On the distribution side, we have the Utility Arborist Association, a great organization. Um, but there's so many varying dis, uh, efforts and so many varying approaches to how people climb a mountain, how people manage their system. I think the the industry, frankly, in many cases, is in a position where they don't have the appropriate resources. And I mean data, leadership support, vision, forward thinking, and then organizational support. I think you need all of those items to drive um, changes from traditional behaviors. Frankly, you need to take bold steps and not continue to operate in a traditional mode. Who is still using, um, you know, who's still using a handsaw to do tree work every single day, all day? No one. You, we've graduated from a handsaw or a, a buck, single buck or double buck saw back in, um, back in the early 50, 40s, 50s, and 60s. And now people are operating chainsaws. Look at the advanced equipment that's being used around utility VM. Um, across the industry. So there's advances that are happening, um, but I'm not certain that everybody is focused on how are we going to operate going forward? What are the non-traditional approaches I should be exploring? And are they being supported by their organization? Um, yeah. You can try to push a boulder up a hill so many times, and at some point, um, if you don't have the appropriate business case, you don't have the appropriate leadership alignment, um, and support, um, people think they're immune to this, and then they focus in the reactionary versus a proactive approach. So you're going to pay for it one way or the other, Tej. You're yeah. going to pay for it on the back end, or you're going to pay for it on the front end. You can be proactive, and you can be focused on ensuring that your br organizational brand image is as best as it can be, yeah. or you can be reactionary and pay for it on the back end, and then your brand image is damaged beyond repair to never yep. be repaired with your customers. These communities that have been devastated by these events are not uh, partners with those utilities anymore. Mm. I think um, it's, a fair point. it's worth mentioning here, Tej, that um, not only do you have the utility VM industry and the utility industry that you should be asking for leadership from, but you also have to look, look at external factors. And Eric mentioned one earlier, and I think it's a uh, premier one, and that is insurers, uh, both for the, the yeah. utility um, itself, but also insurers for those properties that may be affected in the future by uh, an unknown future fire. And we're seeing that in California with numerous insurers refusing to renew yep. um, homeowners insurance for houses and, and properties that are in areas that they perceive to be at risk of catastrophic fire. So you're seeing the the pressure on the utility. Their insurers are saying, you got to stack your insurance. You got to 
spend more on insurance because we don't think it's adequately covered. And then you've got the external pressures. And then, fo- and then following that up with that, you got policymakers that are extending a good deal of pressure on utilities as well. I mean, California is a is a case study in policy pressures on its utilities, its IOUs. And, and so you've got that factor too. And what's emerging with all that pressure is um, some forward movement towards some change. And um, which is, is um, you know, welcome that. Uh, but I just harken back to what I said earlier, you know, we need to really intellectually, honestly evaluate your risk and then change your operations. You know, the, the grand old saying, if you do the same thing over and over again, it leads to the same results. Why do you continue to do the same thing over and over and over again? That's it for this episode of Trees and Lines, brought to you by Iapetus Holdings. If you like the show, please give us a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. If you have any questions or comments on any of our episodes or ideas for topics or guests, we'd love to hear from you. Please contact us at treesandlines at iapetusllc.com. We'll chat with you soon.